Live from WNUR News, I'm Brandon Kondritz. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Friday, October 20th. Tonight on WNUR News, the Northwestern University's latest South Asian student organization celebration, horror movies making big bucks and why that's so, and Halloween season, spooky season here on campus, as well as this week's episode of Fairweather Friends. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. The Northwestern community kicked off Navdari last Saturday with a lively garba held by the South Asian Student Organization. Gabby Shell has the story. Last Saturday, around 200 Northwestern students gathered in the Lewis Room to dance the night away. The draw of the night was Garba, an Indian tradition featuring circular community dance. Hosted by Northwestern South Asian Student Association, or SASA, Garba kicked off Navratri, a nine-day Hindu festival dedicated to Durga, the feminine form of divinity. In addition to providing a fun way for the Northwestern South Asian community to connect, SASA co-president and Medill sophomore Nikki Gumadi said that they wanted to highlight the religious aspect of Garba. Uh, an important part of this was this year we've been trying to work a lot more like in tandem with RSL and their offices, so it's religious student life. Um, but so we've been trying to work a lot more with them. So we talked to uh, Chaplain Ummer, who's the Hindu chaplain on campus, um, and he helped us out with sort of just the planning. And he um, spoke a little bit at the beginning about um, the importance of Garba, um, and he helped us do a small religious ceremony for anyone that wanted to join in. Many students partook in the Arti, a Hindu ceremony involving waving lighted wicks in front of the images of important Hindu deities and reciting a prayer. However, balancing the religious tradition with the lively social background proved difficult. Sunny Batra, a first-year biomedical engineering major, was frustrated by the crowd's lack of attention to Chaplain Ummer as he introduced and led the Arti. People were not really being respectful at all during the prayer, and that was like kind of annoying to me. Like during the prayer, people were like talking over the guy and like weren't paying attention at all. After an hour of chatting, eating, and prayer, students ventured into the circle to begin the dance. Newbies and returners alike were welcome to dance, led by the Northwestern Ross team. The Ross team competes nationally in both Garba and Ross, two concentric dance styles that emerged from the Gujarat province in India. Every single year we have uh, members of the Ross team, which is one of the South Asian dance teams on campus, help um, like start the Garba circles, which I think is always really important because not, not everyone knows what Garba is, not everyone has been to one. I hadn't been to one because um, Garba is mostly a North Indian thing and I'm South Indian. So I had never been to one until I came to college. And so I think that's also a really important part is just like making sure everybody feels welcome. The night featured three different dance sections, Garba, Dandia Ross, and Bollywood. Students danced all together during the Garba section before grabbing Dandia sticks and breaking off into smaller circles to perform the partner-based dance. After retiring the Dandia sticks, everyone circled up once again to close the night with a lively Bollywood dance. My favorite part of the night, it's, it's always the Bollywood section. I think that's kind of everyone's favorite part of the night um, because at least for, for me, from the planning side of things, it's like, okay, like it's the end of the night, I can see the event went well, like everyone's having fun. 
Um, but then it's always fun because like everyone on board sort of like gets to dance together like um, and like celebrate the event like going well. Um, but yeah, it's always fun seeing everyone like get their friends involved and stuff like that. With Garba over, Sasa has begun preparations for Diwali, the Hindu festival of lights. The Festival of Lights is the highlight of Diwali, a five-day-long celebration of the triumph of good over evil. Falling this year on November 12th, the third day of Diwali, the Festival of Lights, is a day of decorations, gifts, festive meals, and merriment, often capped off with fireworks. This year, Sasa has planned a day full of celebration for the Northwestern community. So um, the idea is that we'll have like a whole school wide back to the Diwali celebration. So um, Chaplain Amr again um, is going to help us out. He's going to do a puja, which is um, a religious ceremony um, in McCormick Auditorium. So everyone's welcome to come to that. And then we'll have some dance performances that everyone is welcome to come to. Um, and then to end the night, we'll have a Diwali banquet, which we have every year. Um, and this year we're going to do Dia painting. So Dia's are like the little candle holders. Um, and Diwali is the festival of lights. So Diaz are pretty important around that time of year, um, and I think it'll be a cute, fun activity for everyone to do. Students are looking forward to the Diwali celebration to connect with the South Asian community, honor the Hindu gods, and, of course, eat good food. Is there anything in particular you're looking forward to? Um, probably more of the food. It's always good to like have some type of South Asian food, because obviously we don't get it that much here. Horror movies routinely make big bucks, especially around Halloween. But what happens when the movies are more horrible than horrifying? Moving on to arts and entertainment, a package from last fall. Brendan Priceman has the story. Michael Myers is one of the most famous horror movie killers of all time. And yet, in the latest and most likely final installment of the Halloween series, Myers is an afterthought. Rotten Tomatoes calls Halloween Kills a frequently befuddling installment, and says that the audience was mostly disappointed. I dug deep into the reviews to find out why. Perhaps the review that most explains why fans are disappointed is one of the first fan reviews on the site. Michael Myers is in the movie for 10 minutes. That's the actual review. Brian Tallarico, the editor of RogerEbert.com, also was not a fan, giving the film a rating of just 1.5 stars out of 4 on his review, and saying, among other things, poorly executed in every way, clunkier editing, framing, and writing than the other two films, and if this is truly the end, it's a whimper, not a bang. Variety magazine is perhaps even more critical, describing the film as neither scary nor fun, and the most joylessly metaphorical and convoluted entry. Even CNN's review, written by Brian Lowry, calls the movie an odd, tedious film containing laughably awkward moments in the wrong places. Jezebel.com perhaps contains the best summary of the film, stating that it takes about 90 minutes for the movie to get where it's going. The final showdown between Lori and Michael lasts about 10 minutes. The site also says that Halloween Ends really wants to have something to say, but there's a difference between gesturing and actually saying something. The Times, based in the United Kingdom, was far less kind, calling the film abominable and inept. Admittedly, box office numbers aren't the best way to fully tell a story about a film, especially one that came out less than a month ago. 
However, at a current worldwide gross of $102,900,440 per boxofficemojo.com, Halloween Ends is the 29th most successful movie of the year. That puts it behind other widely lampooned movies such as Black Adam, which has already tripled the gross of Halloween Ends, Death on the Nile, and somehow, Morbius. Even Jurassic World Dominion, another completely unnecessary sequel, has made nearly ten times as much money as Halloween Kills. So, why? Why has one of the most famous horror franchises of all time failed so miserably in a year that's been a nice bounce back for the box office? It's probably because the original Halloween, as well as some of the more recent entries in the franchise, were primarily slasher movies. Audiences knew there was a man in a mask coming for Laurie Strode and wanted to see how she'd escape. And who wouldn't escape. Instead, the only escape is the movie Escaping from Michael Myers. As mentioned earlier, Myers barely appears in the film, and his first appearance reveals that he's just living in the sewer. The main bad guy in this film is Corey Cunningham, who had appeared in zero previous iterations of the franchise. Maybe setting up Corey as the new big bad makes sense if the director was trying to set up a potential spin-off, but Corey dies before the final fight between Michael and Laurie. The entire movie feels like it was written during a game of telephone where all the writers were using their non-dominant hands. Why have Michael Myers, a man who killed basically half the town in the last movie, turn into some old guy in the sewers who gets beaten incredibly easily? Why have Laurie Strode, who, according to the 2018 film, has been planning for Michael's return for 40 years, just sort of hang around trying to set her granddaughter up for most of the film? Why is Corey, a person the audiences have never met, the main villain? By the ending of the movie, viewers are left with almost nothing. Laurie finally beats and kills Michael, spoiler alert, and then that's... About it. Michael's body is shredded, perhaps a message for what this movie did to the franchise. Laurie writes a book, and that's that. A satisfying conclusion? Maybe, if you like awkward romance movies that turn into horror films halfway through. Halloween, the original, works because it mainly focuses on the conflict between Michael and Laurie. This latest and hopefully final installment focuses instead on the relationship between Laurie's granddaughter Allison and Corey, because... Build up, I guess? Halloween ends alright. It ends with an extremely disappointing thud. For WNUR News, I'm Brendan Kreisman. October is scary for a lot of reasons. Halloween, midterms, and most importantly, flu season. Northwestern students share their experiences dealing with sickness, and a CDC medical officer even shares some helpful tips excuse me, for how to stay well during the flu season. Ari Burnick has the story from last year. Spookier than Halloween season, flu season. This past week, I dealt with the whole works. Chills, nausea, aches, fever, the feeling of impending doom when sending emails to professors to reschedule a midterm. Trust me, vampires and zombies pale in comparison to the flu. I'm not the only one who has fallen victim to the flu one month into school. Although it is only mid-October, the flu has taken Northwestern University by storm. Milan Bobek is a third year majoring in econ and minoring in business institutions who just recovered from the flu this past weekend. Bobek says students are not getting checked anymore for illnesses on campus. If they like get tested at Searle and they test positive for like COVID, they're going to have to quarantine. And so I think they just kind of, I don't, I don't think kids get tested anymore. 
Alexis Bowe, a second-year neuroscience major that currently has the flu, says she believes students in particular are not testing for COVID-19. I think specifically COVID because of the quarantine period and isolation that they have to go through in Hinman. Medical officer at the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. Amanda Cohn, who happens to be my roommate's mother, said COVID-19 created a hesitancy to test. Because of the uh, measures that were put into place to prevent transmission of COVID, that even if students aren't necessarily getting sicker from COVID than they may, for example, with flu, there was still a lot more anxiety provoked by uh, getting COVID. There are also our at-home tests, so it was easier to determine if you had COVID. And it's much more easily transmissible than other types of infections that kids get in college. And so I think it was, um, it, it was scarier to students. Dr. Cohn says testing is important to make sure you are not infecting others. But really, if you have a cough and a fever, you shouldn't be uh, going out and you should be staying at home um, until you're better, regardless of whether or not you test positive for the flu. People who have underlying medical conditions in particular can get very sick from flu. So if you're a healthy college student, um, you never know if you're around college students who, who may have sickness, who may have an illness. And so it's helpful to know if you have the flu. Although testing is important, both Bobek and Bo echo how missing classes is extremely difficult when being sick. It's hard being behind in schoolwork. Bobek specifically emphasized how some professors at NU do not handle sick students' experiences properly. Some classes don't even let you miss for illness, which is pretty lame, but I'm not going to go give anyone, anyone the flu. I think I think I think classes hand, uh, like teachers handle illness very poorly. One of my classes has a uh, like a no ex excused absences, including for personal reasons. And one of those personal reasons is illness. Missing class was an issue for both students, but measures can be taken to increase chances of avoiding illness, like getting vaccinated. The flu vaccine is typically between 40 and 60 percent effective, which means that even if you get the flu vaccine, you're still 50%, um, there's still a 50% chance that if you're exposed, you will get it. Um, and that changes year by year. But the reason why I recommend people get it is that even if you get the flu, the flu shot protects you against severe disease. So it can prevent you from getting um, hospitalized or very sick um, from influenza. Dr. Cohn stresses vaccinations will be particularly important for this upcoming and uncertain winter. I, I think this year especially, it will be really important to get both your flu shot and the new COVID vaccine if you haven't gotten that yet. Uh, we really don't know what's going to happen this winter, uh, but it could be a bad season for both just given the dynamics of the last couple of years and the best way to prevent yourself from getting really sick is to get vaccinated. In addition to getting vaccinated, Dr. Cohn also encourages monitoring your symptoms. And I think the best thing you can do is if you start to have symptoms, just recognize them early. And um, a bad cough and fever are those two major symptoms that you look for for flu. And then, um, drink fluids and uh, and 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 stay in. Bobek echoed that sentiment 
and had a straightforward message for students. Get vaccinated. Don't get the flu. It sucks. For WNUR News, I'm Ari Burnick. The temperatures are lowering as October comes to a close, and students are preparing for the daunting, colder weather. But the warm weather might not be over yet. Mary Amelia Weiss has this week's edition of Fair Weather Friends. Hi, I'm Mary Amelia. Welcome back to Fair Weather Friends. Each week, we give you a peek into the local and national weather. I'm new on Fair Weather Friends, and we have much to discuss together. From Evanston, Illinois, this is Fair Weather Friends. All right, everyone, we're three weeks into October. September brought frequent sunny skies and manageable temperatures. Some would argue it was a bit too hot. With the onset of October, things took a turn. Crisp, appreciated fall temperatures are quickly turning into blustering winds and cloudy days in the typical Chicago fashion. Northwestern students have finally started digging up their coats as the summery temps come to a close. During the past few weeks, temperatures have been hovering in the 50s with partly cloudy skies, but as usual, the wind is the killer. Last week, though, it reached the 60s, and Evanston residents enjoyed a surprisingly sunny day. Scattered showers were frequent in the later hours, but last week proved to be moderate overall. This weekend in Evanston, you can look forward to temperatures sticking around the mid-50s, with Saturday and Sunday having a low of 45. It will be partly cloudy and relatively breezy on this fine October weekend. Next week, temperatures could climb back into the 60s, but don't get too excited because rainy weather is a large possibility. I have to confess that I'm no Chicago weather veteran. In fact, I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I can imagine that most lifelong Midwesterners would laugh at what Atlantans call a rough winter. According to World Atlas, Midwestern cities make up nine out of the top ten coldest cities in the United States. Temperatures can reach well into the negatives. And if you're like me and you don't have experience braving the cold, this can really catch you off guard. So here are some tips. Prepare your winter wardrobe in advance and remember to layer. To Chicagoland natives, this seems self-explanatory, but in places like Atlanta, layering for the cold is a foreign concept, so remember to pre prepare your winter wardrobe before you really need it. Second, give yourself more time to arrive somewhere. This especially applies to students. Remember to allot more time before that walk from north to south campus. Chances are there will be more rain, wind, and eventually snow in the coming months than what we've seen at the beginning of the school year, and it will probably slow you down. Third, buy warm drinks. Hot coffees and teas are a great way to warm up after a cold walk outside. It's a great excuse to invest in a pumpkin spice latte or whatever your seasonal drink of choice might be. That's all for this week's edition of Fairweather Friends. Thanks for tuning in. Good luck with the coming temperatures. Until next time, in Evanston, Illinois, Mary Amelia Weiss, WNUR News. Now taking a look into the headlines. Political commentator Rachel Maddow spoke at Northwestern in the Chicago Humanities Festival yesterday about historical struggles against fascism. She's promoting her book, Prequel, An American Fight Against Fascism. Maddow spoke in a closed event at Harris Hall and later at a sold-out event at the University of Illinois, Chicago. She discussed the importance of talking about history even as a non-historian. In Evanston news, an ordinance drafted by Evanston's law department would ban natural gas in most new construction in the city. Commercial kitchens would be exempt from this ban. The Evanston Building Electrification Working Group learned of the proposal yesterday after previously advocating for a natural gas ban. The city council may vote on the proposal as soon as late November. 
Turning to the Chicagoland area, a, pro a prosecutor said yesterday that a suburban Chicago man has been charged with two hate crimes against Muslim men. 46-year-old Larry York was charged with allegedly verbally harassing and threatening to shoot two men on Tuesday night. The charge comes the day after a six-year-old Palestinian-American boy was killed in suburban Chicago. In Illinois news, Governor J.B. Pritzker said Thursday that he would agree to extend the Invest in Kids scholarship program. The program provides tax credits for private school scholarships to children from low to moderate income families. Lawmakers have not yet drafted a bill extending the program, and some Democrats have questioned whether tax incentives should be used to support private schools. The program is currently set to expire on December 31st of this year. In national news, President Joe Biden delivered a rare primetime Oval Office speech yesterday. He called on Congress and the American people to support Ukraine and Israel. Biden said that supporting those nations is, quote, vital for America's national security, end quote. Biden is expected to ask for $105 billion in aid today, including $60 billion for Ukraine and $14 billion for Israel. His demands come as the House of Representatives remains without a speaker. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other WNUR News stories on our website, WNURnews.org. Again, that's WNURnews.org. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Our producer today is Emily Stoll, and our reporters are Gabby Shell, Brendan Preisman, Ari Burnick, and Mary Amelia Weiss. From all of us here at WNUR News, thanks for listening. I'm Brandon Kondritz. Catch our next newscast on Monday, October 23rd at 6 p.m. Now back to scheduled programming. You're listening to WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1, Evanston, Chicago.